truth in advertising. If we'd moved her, she'd still have them, the ad for Acme Moving says, with a photo of Venus de Milo. <laughs> but who, intact, would Venus be? Some standard issue, issue ingenue. Give me a woman who's lived a little, who's wrapped her arms around the ages and come up lacking. That's the stone that can move me. Mulch. A mulch is a layer of organic matter used to control weeds, preserve moisture, and improve the fertility of the soil. You will not find naked soil in the wilderness. I started cautiously. Newspapers, hay, a few magazines. Robert Redford stared up between the rhubarb and the lettuce. Then, one day, cleaning shelves, I found some old love letters. I've always burned them for the symbolism, but the ashes, gray and dusty as old passions, would blow about the yard for days, stinging my eyes, bitter on my tongue. So I mulched them, gave undying love to the tomatoes, the memory of your gentle hands to the squash. It seemed to do them good, and it taught me a whole new style of gardening. Now my garden is the best in the wilderness, and I mulch everything. Bills, check stubs, dead kittens and baby chicks. I seldom answer letters. I mulch them with the plans I made for children of my own, photographs of places I've been, and a husband I had once, as well as old bouquets and an unsatisfactory lover. Nothing is wasted. Strange, strange plants push up among the corn, leaves heavy with dark water, but there are no weeds. Try to praise the mutilated world. Remember June's long days and wild strawberries, drops of rosé wine, the nettles that methodically overgrow the abandoned homesteads of exiles. You must praise the mutilated world. You watch the stylish yachts and ships. One of them had a long trip ahead of it, while salty oblivion awaited others. You've seen the refugees going nowhere, You've heard the executioners sing joyfully. You should praise the mutilated world. Remember the moments when we were together in a white room and the curtain fluttered? Return in thought to the concert where music flared. You gathered acorns in the park in autumn and leaves eddied over the earth's scars. Praise the mutilated world and the gray feather a thrush lost and the gentle light that strays and vanishes and returns. Sarajevo is a beautiful city. It's tucked high in a mountain valley in southeastern Europe, surrounded by forests. A river runs through the center of town. 
in the historic old city. Stunning mosques, churches, and synagogues are all a few steps from one another. With steeples and skyscrapers and minarets reaching towards the heavens, it looks like something from a fairy tale. I lived close to Sarajevo for two years and met many people from that city. Their stories of Sarajevo in the 1960s, 70s, and 80s make the city sound like a fairy tale, a fairy tale of religious pluralism. There was always something to celebrate then. Sarajevo had large Muslim, Catholic, and Christian Orthodox communities. Between Muslim holidays, Eastern and Western Christian holidays, and Yugoslav state holidays, the residents of Sarajevo were always gathering for a party. A cousin would host a breakfast during Ramadan, a Catholic aunt would host a Christmas dinner, followed a few weeks later by a neighbor's Orthodox Christmas feast. And as many of you know, life in Sarajevo did not stay like this. The fairy tale ended. The beautiful mountains that surround the city turned threatening in the 1990s as war raged across the former Yugoslavia. The mountains became the home of Serb forces that held the city under siege for nearly four years. The city was targeted in part because of the Sarajevans' tolerance and history of connection across difference. This peaceful cohabitation was a threat to the ethnic nationalist ideologies that fueled the conflicts in the region. During the siege, bombs and bullets flew freely into the city, killing many. 10,000 people were killed, and people were killed or injured for living in their city, killed as they waited in line for water or went to the market for bread, killed as they sat in their homes waiting for something to change. And then, mercifully, the siege ended, and the survivors were left to pick up the pieces of their destroyed lives, their destroyed city. There was so much mourning to do. So many people had been lost, and so much of the city had been lost. A way of life had been lost. Buildings had become piles of rubble. Sidewalks and roads were full of holes from deadly explosions. The neighborhoods which used to be religiously mixed had all become segmented and stratified. The people of Sarajevo had to decide what to do with their shat the shattered infrastructure of their former lives. There is a powerful passage in the novel Beloved by African-American Nobel laureate Toni Morrison. In it, Setha is remembering the religious revivals held by her mother-in-law, Baby Suggs, in the clearing. Those who attended the gatherings are mostly escaped slaves and their children. And Morrison writes, it started that way, laughing children, dancing men, crying women, and then it got mixed up. Women stopped crying and danced. Man, men sat down and cried. Children danced, women laughed, and children cried until exhausted and riven. All in each lay about the clearing, damp and gasping for breath. In the silence that followed, baby Suggs, holy, offered up to them her great, big heart. She did not tell them to clean up their lives or to go and sin no more. She did not tell them they were blessed of the earth, its inheriting meek, or its glory-bound pure. She told them the only grace they could have was the grace they could imagine, that if they could not see it, they would not have it.
Baby Suggs tells her community that the only grace they could have is the grace they could imagine, that if they could not see it, they could not have it. When the siege ended, the people of Sarajevo had some serious imagining to do. What could they do with their losses and their griefs? What could they do with their city? What was the grace that they could see and make and have? Grace may not be a word or a theological concept that works for all of us. As I understand it, grace is often unearned blessing. Grace is the reality that the sun rises every morning and the first snow of the year is breathtakingly beautiful, no matter what we do. There's nothing we can do to deserve it or to make it stop. In the Christian tradition, grace is unearned favor from God. For me, grace is also human resilience and work towards redemption. It's about finding meaning and beauty in the most difficult of circumstances. Grace is choosing to bless the world. It is the grace described in Beloved, a vision of triumph in the midst of struggle. Back to Sarajevo. What did the Sarajevans do once the fighting stopped? Did they build everything again, make a shiny new city? Surely they could have. Vast sums of money were streaming into the city from abroad as countries sought to atone for their earlier inability to stop the war. Some buildings were rebuilt, and people found grace in thwarting those who had, who had wanted to wipe their city off the map. Did the people of Sarajevo move away? Some of them did, finding the memories in the city too painful to face every day. They found their grace in new beginnings. But many stayed in Sarajevo, and those who stayed imagined grace amidst the rubble. They imagined a grace of survival and remembrance, a grace that transforms pain into beauty. And in times like these, times when we are brought low, words often fail us. Words are too small to contain our experience. And because words cannot contend with the Sarajevans new reality, the people of that city turned to art. The city was full of craters from mortar explosions. A group of citizens filled in those huge holes in the streets and sidewalks with a red resin. It forms a stunning, almost floral pattern. They call them Sarajevo roses. And Bob, can you show a picture of one now? So these roses, these markers of death and destruction are all over Sarajevo in residential neighborhoods and commercial districts, underneath the tables at sidewalk cafes, in the promenade along the river. Maybe if you didn't know the story behind them, you'd call them beautiful, a lovely piece of public art. And as it is, these filled-in craters are beautiful, but hauntingly so. It is a beauty born out of brokenness. The roses call on passers-by to remember that people died there, right there. The deaths of 25 years ago are made real. The roses are the grace that the people of Sarajevo imagined, the grace that they brought to their community. Can you imagine seeing the rose that marks where a beloved friend or child or parent died? I can't, not at all. But I can imagine that it would be 
painful, maybe even more painful, to pass by such a place and see that the road has been repaved and the, the wall replastered and repainted as if nothing ever happened there, as if the loss is not real. The roses must provide some comfort to those who have lost loved ones. And the staggering number of roses all over the city remind mourners that they are not alone in their grief. The city is filled with grief. Everyone in Sarajevo is confronted with these roses, forced to remember that war and suffering and death happened right there. The wounds are not healed and the city refuses to pretend otherwise. That willingness to live with and through pain is the grace that Sarajevo has imagined, the grace that Sarajevo has given the world. The grace in Sarajevo is not the grace of Christian theology. It is not unearned blessing from the holy, God reaching out to humanity generously even though we don't deserve it. It is not the amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. The grace of Sarajevo is different. It is not divine generosity. It is the transformation of unearned, undeserved pain into beauty and blessing. It is imperfect and human and beautiful. We are all Sarajevo. We are all the walking wounded, carrying with us scars from past losses and pains. I sincerely hope that no one here has faced the losses that come with living in a city under siege for four years. But we all have losses. We've experienced the suffering of illness, the death of those we love, dreams unrealized, everyday unkindnesses. To be human is to live through pain. And we all face the same dilemma that faced the people of Sarajevo at the end of the war. What do we do with our wounds? What is the grace that we imagine? Do we lay fresh, clean cement on our wounds or cover them up with a new coat of paint, pretend that nothing happened? Do we let the pains be and not do anything? Maybe we just avoid that part of town or that part of our past. Or do we transform pain into power and to haunting beauty, a graceful and grace-filled gift to the world that cannot be ignored? Something that reminds us and those around us that we have survived suffering and are unwilling to pretend otherwise. We are called to create Sarajevo roses in our lives and in the world around us, to remember our pain, to transform it into something life-giving and grace-giving. We know that the suffering of the Sarajevans does not disappear because of a red rosin on the sidewalk, but it is acknowledged. It is there for everyone to see. It is an unearned blessing for those who encounter it, those who survived the siege and those who are just passing through town. And the willingness to live with and through suffering is brave and beautiful and blesses the world. The strange, haunting beauty of the Sarajevo roses reminds us of all that has been lost, of the suffering all around us, and that we are not alone when we are in pain. Grace is not only a Christian concept. In the Sri Vaishnava sect of Hinduism, there is a debate about how grace works. 
One group asserts that God is like a mother monkey, and the other states that God is like a mother cat. Adherents to this cat school believe that God acts like a mother cat carrying her kittens. Do you remember what that looks like? We have a photo of this as well. So the cat has bitten the kitten on the scruff of the neck, picks him up, and carries him from one place to another. The kitten does nothing, except maybe squirm. He is transported to where he needs to be without making any effort. His grace is unearned. The holy sweeps in to carry him to safety. Others in this sect of Hinduism believe that grace works more like a monkey and her baby. And maybe you remember seeing a baby monkey being carried at your last trip to the zoo. The baby monkey climbs onto its mother's back and holds on for dear life as the mother jumps from tree to tree or scampers across the ground. And we have a picture for that too. Some believe that grace works like that, that we have to show some initiative, partner with the divine, hold on for dear life. Only then will the holy grant us grace. Only then will the holy jump from tree to tree with us holding tightly to its hairy back. And that is not all that grace is. Sometimes, like in post-war Sarajevo, grace happens through human initiative. We make the world graceful and grace-filled. We bless the world. To return to the metaphor from Hinduism, there are cats and monkeys of all ages, and it all gets mixed up. We assume all the roles. Sometimes we are kittens being carried and protected. Sometimes we are the baby monkeys holding on tightly to something bigger than ourselves. And sometimes we are the mothers or fathers in the situation, carrying friends and neighbors and strangers toward a place of wholeness and blessing. Sometimes we are all that we have. And in these situations, we make grace happen. Sometimes, in the words of Caribbean-American poet June Jordan, we are the ones we have been waiting for. Sometimes we don't have the privilege of being helpless. Sometimes we must become the take-charge mama cat, grabbing others by the scuff of their neck and carrying them into safety, into transformation, into grace. Take charge, mama cats, transform their communities. And I have a story about that. A story about a man named Simon Rodia. He was an Italian immigrant who lived in the Watts area of Los Angeles. And for many of us, Watts is a shorthand for urban unrest. But Watts is also a neighborhood, a neighborhood full of people living rather ordinary lives, sharing many of the worries that animate our days. It is also a neighborhood where many have had their aspirations and achievements curtailed by racism and poverty. Watts is not a symbol, though. It is a real, lived-in place, and Simon Rodia knew this. He was a construction worker who lived in Watts beginning in the 1920s, and he devoted his evenings and weekends to building a striking landmark to his neighborhood, the Watts Towers. This project took him 30 years, and the tallest tower stretches 99 and a half feet into the heavens. We have a photo of that, too. So from a distance, these towers look like a collection of church spires. And as one approaches, an expectation rises that will be a holy site at their base. And then there is no place of worship at the bottom. 
The towers remind us all that the ground, just as it is, can be holy ground. Every inch of the Watts Tower is covered in mosaic. So it's time for the next picture to show you a detail. It's kind of hard to see, but you can see there are pieces of things over every inch. Mosaic is an apt symbol for transformation and grace. To make his mosaics, Simon canvassed his neighbors and scoured the sidewalks, collecting discarded things in a disregarded neighborhood. There are pieces of old dessert plates, coffee cups, seashells, and beer bottles embedded in his sculpture. Objects that would otherwise be garbage were elevated, both literally and metaphorically, into art. In her book, Finding Beauty in a Broken World, Euro-American conservationist Terry Tempest Williams writes that there is a way of being in the world that calls us beyond hope. (coughs) Mosaic is not simply an art form, but a form of integration, a way of not only seeing the world, but responding to it. Mosaics transform the discarded into art, and the Watts Towers make their neighborhood holy ground. In this moment, I invite us all to look closely at the places of pain in our lives, the craters left by grief, broken relationship, suffering of all kinds. What is the grace that we can imagine? How can these wounds be transformed into the blessing and beauty that the world is hungry for, that the world desperately needs? Where is our pain? And what are we waiting for? The world needs us to act. The world needs the grace that only we can create. The world needs us to build monuments to the holy ground beneath our feet. And the world needs us to be monkeys and cats and mothers and others who care for one another. The world is in desperate need of roses. May it be so. May we make it so. And amen.